Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Howdy, everyone, and special shout out to the listeners in Hong Kong. Yeah, that's like quite a few thousand miles away from me. That's that's pretty cool. Power of the internet, eh? So on today's show, we have Gemma Else, who is part of the dynamic duo um, of mother and daughter team who invest in Nuneaton and, well, sort of around that area. Um, I first saw them at a Kensington pin event, and I just thought they were fantastic and so inspiring. Uh a few, a few highlights, they find most of their deals from Rightmove. Uh, Gemma disagrees that property is a numbers game. She quite, talks quite a lot you know, about her story. We go in detail on the figures and you know, achieving financial freedom in two years. And, but before that, she had you know, been working in a nine to five for 13 years. Um, and we draw some kind of interesting conclusions on that. We speak about care homes, uh, you know, having a sort of old disused care home, refurbing it, and then leasing it to a provider and just... Um, yeah, getting a bit of money for that. We talk about buying properties at sort of market value, but adding enough value that you can still pull out money. And that's where the kind of conversions or, you know, developments, you might call it piece comes from. Um, and we also touch a little bit on mindset. This is a really good episode. I'm definitely going to get Gemma back on in the future. As usual, if you're liking the show, if you're loving what we're doing, send me a message, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever. Um, any feedback again, please, please let me know. And please leave a review on the podcast app. Scroll right down to the bottom past all the episodes and it will say write a review. You put a few kind words there. Don't need a soliloquy, but just, you know, just enough. Uh, or on the Facebook page, Tej Talks. That would be awesome. Thank you. Gemma, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Hello. You know, it's quite interesting because I think you might be the first or second guest that I've seen at a networking event. And I was like, you know what? I need to get you on the podcast because everything you said, the level of detail you went into, and I think it was Pin Knightsbridge or Pin Kensington. Kensington, um, yeah. Yeah. And I just thought, wow. And you're, you know, you're a mother and daughter team. Unfortunately, mum's not here because of our, our crazy schedules, but yeah. it, it just inspired me. And I think it will inspire a lot of the people listening. So like, so before we get into kind of what you're doing now and, and what property is for you, like, what was your career like before property? And then what was that moment or kind of realization that you thought, actually, I should be doing property full time? So uh, prior to property, I was... Um, in kind of packaging so I was like a I was global head of packaging for mother care my previous role but before that I kind of worked my way up started out in retail went into head office um and and kind of looked after marketing branding packaging delivery of all those types of things and um I really enjoyed it it was you know it was a really varied role um very fast-paced um and you know, it's kind of paid well, you know, I had, a, I had a great, I had a great career. Um, but I suppose the big thing for me was the realization that as, as good as I was, I could only ever earn a set amount of money. Um, and that that would never go into, you know, every penny I earned for a business never went into my pocket. Um, and I suppose that is kind of a bit of a cold realization. Um, so, it actually kind of happened all a bit accidentally, really. Um, I was made redundant 
very quickly um from mother care because they weren't weren't doing um the best and um I was at that point doing a part-time degree as well so I decided to take a little bit of time off to do my final year um and then kind of redecide what I was going to do but I always knew that I wanted to do property I already had some vital lets um and so did my parents so we'd always talked about it it'd always been like a bit of a you know one day we'll do property properly uh and when I was made redundant I was around at a friend's house have just chatting about various different things and uh he mentioned the property investors network so the pin network and um I thought, oh my God, that sounds amazing. I need to go to this thing. So off I trotted with mum in tow. And um, it was like someone had turned a light bulb on inside my head. It just made me realise that there was so many more opportunities. Um, and it started from there, really. Wow. And how long had you sort of worked, like in a nine-to-five job? So um, I left, finished my A-levels when I was 18 and did... And from them, basically. Um, so that would have been 13 years. And then, you know, how long did it take you to become financially free from property? Um, that's only really happened in the last probably three months. Um, so the strategy we picked was obviously development, um, which isn't exactly what you'd call it a quick cash flow strategy. Um, and in hindsight, we probably would have done other things um, had we known how long it's going to take. Um, but... Yeah, it's it's kind of it, it's not something that happens overnight. It's definitely something that you need to put in kind of hard slog for, um, particularly as well when you're unproven. So, you know, I think the biggest thing to remember is that, you know, you, not everybody has capital and we had a, a small amount. It wasn't huge by any sort of imagination for the things that we wanted to do. Um, and, it you know, it took kind of friends and family to kind of take a bit of a punt on us Um that got us kind of really moving um and then we kind of started to work with investors um but you you kind of need somebody who knows you and trusts you um and that kind of knows your work ethic and how you approach things um to kind of I guess be on side in the early days that's that's definitely what happened to us um so so yeah it's kind of it's definitely a gradual thing it's not something that happens straight away um and it wasn't you know we we went along to pin meetings for it must have been eight months before we did anything um and I think that's a really good thing to do because you need to sit and absorb and kind of get to know what people are talking about do some research yourself do lots of reading um before you kind of have an idea about what it is you're going to do Mm. But it didn't take 13 years to become financially free, did it? No, it didn't. It took uh, probably two and a half, two years, maybe two, yeah, about two years. And I think that's like quite a, an interesting kind of comparison because you spent 13 years, you know, in a nine to five. And at the end of it, your salary stops. You you quit, you get made redundant, there's no more income. Yeah. But then you spent two years in property and you can stop. And it will carry on. Obviously, you've got to maintain and stuff like that. But generally speaking, kind of it will carry on. So I think for everyone listening, there's an interesting comparison. If you're kind of saying, oh, let me just work one more year in this job, one more year in this job. You could do one more year in property and then kind of be where Gemma is. So if we go back to that start when you were going to pin meetings. Yeah. So you're seeing speakers and now you're, you know, speaking at these events, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> like you were learning, you were absorbing, you were meeting people. How did you then convert that into, okay, this is going to be our patch. This is going to be our strategy. Let's go and get it. 
Um, so it kind of, it, it comes quite naturally. And I think the more you try and force something, um, the less it's actually going to work it is my feeling. And, and one of the things that we, we talk about when we, when we speak at, at pin meetings, which uh, frankly, I still can't believe that we do. <laughs> um, if you'd said to me three years ago, that we'd be sort in front of people telling, talking about what we do. I would have never believed you. So, um, you never know what you can achieve. Um, but it, it has to be something that you enjoy um, because, you know, for a lot of people, you're going to be working full time and doing this on the side. So it's got to be something that you're passionate about. And, you know, if you're not passionate about rent to rents or HMOs or developments, whatever it is, it's just another job um, and you'll be less successful. So I think the best, the most successful people that I know are the ones that have picked strategies that resonate with them. Mm hmm. And then, so obviously you picked one you enjoyed. How, so did you start, so you had a few buy-to-lets that you kind of accumulated through your career, but you said you're doing developments. Did you like then, after all the pin meetings, go straight into development or did you? Yeah, so so my parents um, had a background in development. Um, so my, my stepdad is, a, is essentially, can do everything. So he's done a bit of building work, plumber, you know, lots of different things. Um, and so because of that, he's got, you know, a lot of experience. Um, but so is my mum. So they run their own kitchen and bathroom fitting business and have done for 15 years. So they're kind of in that circle already. Um, and in terms of, you know, they're having the trade accounts and the contacts, they already had a lot of that. Um, so it made it quite simple um, that we were able to kind of, I guess we probably had a little bit more understanding of developments than the average person. Um, but we still learn a hell of a lot. And actually, my stepdad wasn't massively involved in our first development. Um, he he was still working and um, he works like 70 hour weeks anyway. So to try and do that at the same time was just not going to work. So um, although we had background in it, we still made a lot of mistakes on that first development. Um, mm. Yeah. And, and what was that first development deal? Talk me through like what it was, the location, the figures, everything. Okay, so um, I found it on Rightmove, as I found pretty much everything, um, and we we were actually we were actually at the accelerator program that um, the Pin Network um, run, and um, Simon got us to look up um, like a specific set of parameters on Rightmove, and this building came up, and I was like, oh. Oh, this is quite interesting. Um, so, you know, I thought, okay, I'll follow it up when I when I go back home. And um, it's in Nuneaton, which is a town kind of, it's between like Leicester and Coventry. Um, it's on the train line, just off the motorway. Uh, Virgin have a peak hour service through there. Um, about 120,000 people that live there. But what's quite crucial is um, house prices are relatively cheap compared to Coventry. Um, but rent is a little, is kind of higher. Um, not than Coventry, but you know, it's still a reasonable kind of relation between the two. Um, and I knew the area, so um, it, we felt quite comfortable. And the house was just perfect. It was two terraced houses originally that had been knocked into one um, kind of you know, 30 years ago. So you can imagine the room sizes were huge um, because, you know, you think of a two up, two down terrace and they're usually pretty big, big rooms. Um, and we converted that into a seven bed HMO all with en suites. Um, and yeah, and I think our smallest bedroom is like nine and a half square meters. Um, and the biggest is like 14. Um, 
yeah so they're, they're, they're nice room sizes um and in terms of what we bought it for so um we paid 184,000 uh through modern auction so kind of ebay for houses um and we spent about 10 grand buying it you know solicitors and all the other all the other bits and the refurb was um 90k and then the end value um is 350 so uh we've created equity of just shy of 67,000 um which means we needed a 25 deposit to leave in after refinance of 87. Um, so we've left 20,000 in that deal, which gives us an ROI of 46% uh, because the rental income is nearly three grand a month. Wow. I mean, that is, that's a nice deal. It is. Yeah, it's a good deal. Um, we thought we'd be able to put all the money out. We weren't quite able to, but um, I think, you know, if if you kind of think about the fact that you're making the gross income on that is about 35 grand. So you're leaving 20 grand in, but you're making 35. So, you know, when you think about the fact that a deal is, is it's actually not, you're not, you're not having to, you're not having to leave money in for very long before you're making a profit. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and what kind of tenants have you got in there? So we've got, um, they're all professionals, uh, a variety of age groups, kind of from 20 to 45. Um, bizarrely, seven, six men and one girl, um, don't know why that is but it just is um and uh, you know we provide things like virgin tv internet um they've got a cleaner in there they've got parking um so it's kind of you know it's i, I guess it's probably quite high end for the area but the rents aren't on significantly more than you would pay in a low-end hmo essentially mm, and did you struggle to fill it or was it kind of oversubscribed um we we did to, so we it, we finished it in January, which is never a good time to be um to be doing HMOs. Um, so we took about two and a half months to fill it completely. Um, but then we've had no voids since then. Um, so yeah, we we tend to be able to find people quite quickly. I think because it's in the town centre as well, it's like literally a stone's throw. Um, so it just had everything going for it. Um, and it just felt right. But I do remember, you know, coming out of Accelerator. And Simon talks about positioning yourself as somebody who knows what they're talking about. And I'd got this big, long list of questions I was going to ask the agent. And it genuinely took me to about three o'clock in the afternoon before I plucked up the courage to do it. Um, And I remember having a conversation with the agent and they said to me, so you're an investor then? And I was like, "Uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, And and I suppose, you know, at that point, I didn't feel like one. Um, But it's, it's quite quick how that changes. Um, and it just takes a bit of practice. Mm, absolutely. And it's that confidence, right, in yourself. And when you start out, it's it's tricky because you're like, oh, but I'm, I'm not really an investor. But like, we are, right? Yeah. Um, and then what was maybe the single biggest lesson from that first ever development? Um, so the build team we used were, they were experienced, but not necessarily in HMOs. And... Um, we didn't put enough contingency in and the job wasn't priced what like it wasn't priced correctly for what we ended up doing to it so we ended up changing the build plan kind of part way through so it came out um more money than we were expecting to pay by quite a bit but we did more to it than we thought we were going to do if that makes sense um so the biggest learning curve is um write your schedule of works um and be very specific with your builders about what they need to do so if you give them a plan that doesn't have the right information on it and you kind of say to them oh change this bit and change that bit they forget it Mm. 
and yeah. you know we've had another project where we we it was a, it's a two bedroom flat and um one of the the drawings the second bedroom was labeled incorrectly as a living room and so when it came to the conversation about flooring i said right bedrooms carpet um living rooms and kitchens um like a vinyl thing like, not a vinyl but like a uh, what do you call it it's like kind of candine stuff it's like a laminate but not it's flexible mm. and um i came in i was like well have you put laminate in that bedroom they're like because it's a living room i'm like no it's not it's a bedroom <laughs> so it's something really really small but they will literally do what you tell them to do um so you do have to be very very clear so i think having a schedule of works or a scope of works it doesn't need to be you know like perfectly written like a project manager would just really clear basic in english and get them to price against each job so you know if if one of the things is remove this wall replace this radiator get them to price what that looks like because then if you don't don't end up doing that particular bit that comes off the price and if you need to do something else instead then there's a new price but what you'll find is builders often forget the bits they haven't done, but are very quick to add on the stuff that you've asked them to do in addition. <laughs> yeah, I can I can imagine that's that's solid advice. So, and how long did this deal take? From I mean, roughly from let's say you know offer accepted to it being ready for tenants. Uh, I think the offer was accepted. I think it was like May time, so it was the following January. Okay. And I think that's good for people to understand that, you know, a lot of people are sort of on social media, et cetera, et cetera, saying, yeah, deal accepted, deal done. But what we don't see is that period, which is fairly long, um, you know, especially compared to other businesses where you could be invoicing in a month. Um, so it's good for people to hear the realism of, of like how long it takes. So, you know, that that's fantastic bit of advice and you know what a deal especially for your first kind of you know real big development so then you know once that happened or whilst it was happening tell me about some of your other deals that you worked on as well um so i think one of the things you said about them was the, the time frame it takes when you you haven't got accepted to it actually kind of it being finished and we've exchanged a week ago on a project that i have been working on for 13 months um <laughs> wow so sometimes things just don't come together the way that you expect them to. Um, and we had like a pipe, you know, after that one was kind of finished. We had a pipeline of stuff that was coming through um, kind of every three months with all oh, that one off, that'll complete, that'll complete. And honestly, they all completed at the same time, um, which is never a, a good place to be. Um, so the next project we did was a flat conversion. Um, and that was a commercial building underneath with kind of a residence above it and then kind of a, a higgledy biggledy kind of back bit, if you like. Um, so we converted that into uh, four, four flats. Um, and that that took, again, a, a huge amount of time to get through just because we were doing it as a, crea like a creative way of purchasing it. So it's not as simple as a, you know, a kind of deposit mortgage you kind of you know exchanging complete it takes a bit more to get through it and and obviously not if you haven't got a solicitor that understands that creative purchase strategy that can be your stumbling block um so i think even that one took about eight months to get over the line so i think it's just to be just to have an awareness but keep on top of it mm. and then so you know with that was it a block of flats did you buy it as a block of flats or was it a conversion into a block of flats no so it was a conversion into a block of flats so um we bought it as a commercial premises with a flat above um and then we had to get planning permission to convert it into four residential flats mm, and what were the figures on that deal 
So that one, um, let me just pull it up. So um, we we bought that one for two hundred twenty thousand, um, and the purchase costs and the finance costs because we use bridging for this one came to about forty five k. Yeah, bridging's really expensive. Um, it's definitely not, you know, it can kill a deal. This one had enough room in it to do it, but you've got to be really clear and and. Well, bridging, when they give you the rate, the percentage rate, it doesn't seem like that much. But then they add on the arrangement fee. Um, they take off the interest, usually at the front end as well. So um, you end up getting a lot less than you think you're going to get. Um, obviously, you've got to pay all the valuation fees, the legal fees for the provider. It ends up, that's where the astronomical figure comes from. The actual interest itself isn't too high. It's the other bits that go on the other end. Um, so that one cost, funnily enough, 90k to refurb um and that end value we're waiting for that valuation but it's estimated at about 465k um and that one is we actually rented those those units out about 200 pounds a month more in total than we thought we would um so i think it's always really good to to do a, a kind of a conservative estimate um, when you're looking at rental and and your end value, because you don't want to be surprised, you want to be pleasantly surprised rather than badly surprised. Mm, absolutely. And have you title split them, or are they all on one title? Um, we haven't title split them because you don't need to. Um, so they've got their own um, electric meters um, and and you know water meters and all that kind of stuff. So it's all separate ring mains. Um, but Kent Reliance will will lend on a block of flats that have got. Um, the utilities split even if the titles aren't because they appreciate it's just a paper exercise um so as long as you've kind of set it up in the right way you you don't need to do that particular part of it which i think you know if you start working out per per flat how much that costs that's just another you know four or five grand to do that for a sister yeah and just a bit of paperwork yeah no absolutely mm-hmm. and and what you're saying about bridging yeah i'm, I'm bridging my first deal now and i'm like mm-hmm. you know the figures are different to yours but it's still i'm just thinking arrangement you're just pressing a few buttons on your system and you're charging me one percent and you're doing i'm just like it's irritating but i Mm. guess that's the kind of you know big push for us to find investors because it's a lot easier and there's a relationship right yeah Um, so what does your portfolio look like now when we are in march 2019 yeah so our portfolio right now i don't know why i should do it off the top of my head um (laughs) let me that's a good thing that means there's a lot (laughs) <laughs> I wish there was more. Um, so we've got uh, 15 properties, um, and that doesn't include the HMO, which is technically seven units. That's just one HMO on its own. Um, so, yeah, I guess you've got like 21 units. Um, and then we've got a further um, five, six, seven, probably Twenty coming. Wow. And so in your portfolio today, how much profit, you know, in your pocket or in the company's pocket, does it bring in per month all of those units? Uh all of those units. God, I don't you know what I don't think I don't think I actually even know. Which is really bad, isn't it? Um it's probably it's probably around the the kind of I'd say five K mark. Okay. And you know, with sort of the the kind of I guess um structure you have you work with your mum as a business partner how is it working with your mum and do you both sort of have personalities that 
kind of complement <laughs> each other quite well or um so I was always really close to my mum before we started in property um but it's definitely made things more challenging um working with somebody that is a family member in some ways I think it has a really positive thing because you can have those really frank conversations but equally it does affect your relationship um and you know whereas I used to spend a lot of time with her in the evenings and the weekends and that kind of thing because I spend all my day with her that that doesn't really happen so much so be prepared for the fact that it does change your relationship um it's really interesting because mom and I are very different um so I am probably more of the face of the business so I'm I tend to do more of the presenting I'm kind of more the person that does the networking um and she's kind of behind the scenes so she's much happier at her computer by herself um than she is kind of talking about what we do um but that that's fine because that's what she, that's that suits both of us it's that's our personalities um so we have very different I'm probably more of the visionary and pushing things forward whereas she's kind of more of the um making sure that things are done and and stuff moves along at the right rate um so it's it's complementary but that makes it challenging in terms of how we have to understand the other one and we've done some stuff um you know in terms of coaching um and and kind of trying to understand a bit more about the the other one and how the other one works because I think when you work that closely with somebody, you need to you need to have an awareness um, of of how to interact. So we definitely, I think we've got we've got to the point now where we're we're working better together. But we have bad days and we have good days. Um, and you know, like this afternoon has been an, an absolute nightmare. Um, but that's just that's just the nature of property it is up and down and things do change um literally on the spin of a plate yeah okay and then you know i am um, I'm, I'm on your um email list for the kind of open days you do yeah. for your property so uh, firstly like what as you know go, t- tell us what your open days are kind of about because it's not often you hear investors doing like open days on their properties yeah so um for a variety of reasons, really. Um, one is to, I guess, um, I guess for people who are perhaps new into property, ha- perhaps haven't seen a building site before, don't know what a house looks like when it's been pulled apart, um, have no idea what a schedule of works looks like. Um, it just gives them a little bit of, I guess, hands-on experience. Um, so it's just kind of like it's an hour and a half where we'll talk a little bit about the project and show you around the building and talk about what we've done. Um, but it also gives people an opportunity to get to know us. So um, what we found is that kind of people that are interested in investing with us, it gives them a really good opportunity to to get to know us and to see what we're doing um, and see that we're real people with, you know, real properties and it's not all kind of, you know, fake and, and up in the cloud. Um, so it has a bit of a, a twofold effect, really. Um, and I think, you know, for me, I really like interacting with people and you never know where you'll find um, somebody who can add value to your business. And it can be in lots of different ways. It doesn't necessarily have to be an investor. It doesn't necessarily have to be um, a builder. It can be lots of different things. And I think it gives people the opportunity to get to know us a little bit. Um, and that's kind of really where they came from. Okay, no, it's, it's, a, it's a great idea, right? It's like networking, but also helping people and it's and it's free. So yeah. what I'll do is for anyone listening, if you go to tedge-talks.com slash property, sign up to the mailing list, I will forward you all a link um, the week that this podcast is released to um, Gemma's Open Days and you can have a look at, and book yourselves on. Um, I'm hopefully going to come to one 
when awesome. my schedule fits. Um, <laughs> so, and one thing you mentioned on that um, was about the kind of I don't know if it was a social housing or a care housing thing. So, yeah. are you sort of working with care homes in that? What's the kind of leasing aspect about? Yeah, so so basically one of the strategies that we've kind of developed is, um, and it came about completely by accident, um, we were buying a house which was a care home, so it had a C2 usage, um, and we were going to convert it into a massive HMO, which, to be honest, I was a bit like, I'm not sure if I want a HMO that's 12 bedrooms. That's quite a challenge to manage. Um, so it's kind of, you know, we're kind of in, we're in discussions about what we were going to do with it, um, and... I was again at a pin meeting and someone stood up and said they were looking to lease care homes. If anybody knew anybody that had a care home for lease to let them know. So I was like, Oh, so when I spoke to him, I said, well, I've got one. And he was like, you've got a care home. I was like, yeah. He said, I didn't think anyone would come up to me today. And I was like, no, I, I genuinely do have one. And I interested in having a conversation with you. Um, so it kind of came out of that really. And, um, he came to look at it. It, it wasn't him that ended up being the leasee. Um, but it gave that kind of the idea of what we could do with it. So what we did is basically buy, we buy kind of care buildings that are um, perhaps a little bit run down and tired. And they often tend to be elderly care because that's moving to kind of more larger spaces. So kind of 30, 40 bed rooms because financially it's just not viable at, at the kind of lower end. Um, so we buy them when they're run down and we refurb them to the requirements of the providers. So um, we agree a lease for between 10 and 25 years um, and they then essentially lease the commercial property from us um, and give us a monthly return. But the great thing about it is that when you hand the keys over, that's pretty much it. Unless the roof fell off um we would we would not have to do anything more so there's no dealing with tenants there's nothing you know no maintenance it's literally that's the rent that comes in that's the mortgage that goes out um yeah so it kind of it took a long time to pull together that strategy and there's a lot more to it than that um but it it was a strategy that we really like so um we're looking to buy more care homes i'm looking at um several at the moment um and 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 it doesn't need to be necessarily in the midlands where we're based it can be all over the country um we've got a whole list of of providers who do a variety of things so th- that particular one is um, a children's care facility um but there's also supported living and um learning you know learning behavior challenges and that you know all sorts of different things um that that want to, to lease it and i think what i quite i like about it is they were really struggling to find somewhere because a lot of landlords don't want um a care provider in there um because they're, they're worried about what's going to happen to the building and you know you're going to ruin it and you know all of this kind of stuff so it can be quite a challenge for them to find a space um but we've kind of now agreed that we're going to find them more because they want to grow and they want to to develop um as their business but they're not property professionals they don't know anything about property they don't know where to find them um so it's great because we get the win of not having to worry about managing it and a guaranteed income and they get the win of getting you know an absolutely stunning care home that's almost purpose developed for them um for a long period of time with landlords who understand what they're talking about um and it just means that they can focus on their business which is providing care and we focus on ours which is finding property um so it's a great partnership Mm. I mean, that's kind of like ideal because especially given the rest of your portfolio, this is quite a nice balance where it's a, you know, guaranteed rent 
you don't get you know totally hands off you're also helping you know you're sort of um contributing to a noble cause so it's kind of like a a win all around and i think it's the power of relationships right because now you have that relationship you are the expert the person of influence you know they're going to trust you to find more and and yeah that's a business in itself for, for some people um so I think you said you had, was it 20 more units that are sort of in the pipeline this year? Yes. What do they consist of? So um, we've got a, a flat, another flat conversion. Um, we've got a new build um, on a plot of land that we've already owned a building on, and then we're adding in an additional one. Um, we've got a purpose-built HMO, Um which we're going to be building and we've got a hotel that we're buying wow so you know the hotel are you going to operate it as a hotel or so it's actually used as emergency accommodation at the moment for the council which we're going to leave it as that for now um because it's got it's got space to build um in the garden um a, a kind of six flats so we're going to do six flat build first um and then so that that get that filled serviced accommodation and then we'll refurb the main hotel um so it's a great deal because it's it's very kind of it's it it, it constantly pays out so it's already cash flowing today from day one um and then you know the bills when we when we flip it over and do the, the flat bit um we'll use development finance to do that that'll get filled, that'll have cash flow, and then the main house can be done. So it's you're never really actually stopping in terms of bringing money in. Um, and then we've got another building as well, which is a uh, seven-flat conversion. Wow. So there's lots going on. And again, you know, mm. the kind of diversification of, of what you're doing. And are these all in Nuneaton? No, they're not. So um, where we live, we live in kind of quite a small town, kind of between Banbury and Coventry. Um, so we invest within a 45-minute radius um, of where we live um, and that means that our portfolio is diversified so I'm I feel quite strongly I talk quite heavily about this um, if I had 10 HMOs in Nuneaton and five of them had empty rooms I am my own competition um, so you know some people like that and they like to keep it all together and, and neat but I prefer to have things in different places so our next HMO is in Coventry um, and then the one after that will probably be like Nuneaton, not Nuneaton, sorry, uh, Northampton or Banbury or someone like that, um, because it means then you're not you're not flooding the market with the same type of thing. Um, obviously, Coventry is a much bigger city, so it's it's not as challenging. But you definitely need to be careful when you're in smaller locations. Um, but you know the portfolio is diversified because we've got single lets and we've got flats um, and we've got HMO and obviously a care home. Um, so it means that not only have I diversified from a, a location perspective, but also a type of investment. Um, so that, you know, if if suddenly the rules change on HMOs, that's not my entire portfolio. Um, mm. But equally, you need to be quite focused. Um, and you don't, what you don't want to end up doing is doing, you know, 20 different things and doing them all badly. Um, so because there's two of us, um, it means that, you know, one's kind of building something out while the other one's finding the next project. Mm, I love that. I think is, There's a lot yeah. of de-risking there. Yes. But yeah. you're still making so much money that you're not, you're de-risking. But I think a lot of people think de-risking means making less money or being very conservative. Mm. But you're not. You're probably making more money, if anything. Mm. Um, so, you know, like you said at the beginning, you didn't have a huge pot of cash. So when you sort of were running out, how were mm. you funding your deals? If it's investors, 
you know, tell everyone how you find your investors and maybe some tips on, you know, where we can find investors. Mm. So um, we we fund deals by using a variety of different methods. So obviously sometimes there'll be somebody will have a cash in the bank they want to use. Um, sometimes we'll use a mortgage. Sometimes it'll be a bridging finance. Um, sometimes it'll be uh, SAS money, so pension money. Um, so variety of different options. Um, in terms of investors, it's it's a really tricky thing to explain. Um, you know, we 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 go to a lot of pin meetings. We go to a lot of networking meetings. Um, we post a lot on social media. Not as much as we probably should because no, no one ever does. Um, but we you know we do our open days. Um, we've got lend and learn opportunities, and we just talk about what we do to people. And I think when you do it with no kind of pressure but very much an open and relaxed approach and you get to know people you know you're not going to walk into a pin meeting in all honesty and someone's going to go here's a million pounds to invest and if they did I'd be worried about where they got it from um so you know it's got to be relationship building and and some of that you know we've got we've had investors come forward after three years of getting to know them not we didn't even know they were investors you know, people are watching what you're doing all the time. Um, and it's definitely, you know, it's, it's, it, it happens through social media. So we've had people approach us and say, um, oh, I'm just what you do. Can we, you know, can we talk a bit more about it? Uh, pin meetings is a really good place to meet people. But the mistake that people make is assuming that if I go to a pin meeting two or three times, um, I will find an investor. You have to go every month for like a year and a half. Um, mm. And I think that's the same for people, you know, that, like architects or builders. You've, I find a lot of people go to those those meetings, and um, they're kind of expect they're going to pick up pick up business straight away. Um, doesn't work like that. Like business is not just about business; it's about people um, and property in particular. So um, you know, people don't lend on the deal; they lend on the person. Mm. Okay, and so in in that sort of in that sense. Would you say that people should probably have some cash at least for their first deal, so they have a marketing tool and a, and a portfolio to show an investor? I think I think that if you don't have any cash, it's not the end of the world. You can do rent to rents, and you can do. There are plenty of creative ways out there. Purchase lease options, and people that will JV with you. Um, but just to caveat that, you shouldn't JV with somebody after meeting them once. You should definitely get to know them a bit better um, because you're going to be financially tied to each other and and. You know, you wouldn't marry somebody after meeting them a, a, the day before, would you? So you probably would, shouldn't do that with, with property either. Um, so I think, you know, if you don't have any funds, then there's lots of other ways to to kind of to get yourself some experience. And, you know, I hit, people say to me all the time, I've got this great, amazing opportunity and it's like, a, you know, an eight flat conversion. And I'm like, OK, well, what have you done before? Nothing then you shouldn't be doing an eight flat conversion as your first project. Um, you know, do a light refurb, leave a bit of money in there. Don't don't have this obsession with, you know, being able to pull all your money out all the time. Um, I think it's it's about being realistic. Um, mm. And, you know, I think if you've got, you know, if you went to a pin meeting every single month or, you know, obviously other property investment um, networking meetings are available um, or a PPN <laughs> meeting or whatever it is you go to and you tell people repeatedly what you're doing and you stand up at the front as a service provider um, and you you know you, you talk extensively and you give you know so people oh, can we catch up for a coffee you know perhaps you'd like to come and look at my project or this rent to rent I'm doing um, 
you'd be surprised how many people who have funds in the bank suddenly then turn around and go, okay, yeah, I like this girl, I like this guy. He's got, you know, he's got, he's, he's trying to put himself out there and do different things. And you might find, you know, they, they offer to lend you 25, 30 grand, which is enough for a deposit for your first, for your first building. So it's, it's, I guess, not running before you can walk. Um, it's spending time getting to know people. Um, and, and it's, I guess, having a bit of faith that you keep plugging away, it will come together. And I am the most, what can I, how what's women can say, um, impatient person ever. And I remember walking to my pin meeting and saying, right, we've got 25k, can I do something with that? And they were like, yeah, you can just calm yourself down. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, it's, I, I am really impatient and I want things to move ahead at a really great rate. Um, but it doesn't always happen like that. So, um, it's good to learn some patience. Um, and people, yeah, people, you know, people will invest in you if they like you. Um, and you'll always find good deals. You know, if the deal doesn't, isn't, doesn't, isn't quite right. You know, I was looking at a deal today, one of our investors and, it's an auction purchase, which is down in London, actually. And I was going to go down this morning, tomorrow morning. And I was like, I'm being an R-ing. And I just said to him, do you know what? I don't feel comfortable with this. I'm not completely sure this is the right thing to do. Um, the guy price is too high. So we, we, we agreed that we just monitor the auction. If it sells, it sells. If it doesn't, we might go back and look at it again. But learning to walk away from a deal is the hardest thing you'll ever have to do. Um, because it doesn't, it makes you feel like you've not succeeded. Um, and you're like, oh, you know, it's, it's quite a, it's a crushing blow sometimes. Um, but it's the biggest lesson I ever learned. Um, and, and it's one that I'm really glad that I did because now I know when to walk away. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's also kind of a thing of rejection, like you're rejecting the deal, but then it's kind of rejecting you because it wasn't right. So like, I totally get where you're coming from. And I think for me, like having worked in recruitment and anyone in sales will know, I probably find that like the the easiest part because I'm so used to just getting no's or failing or things not working. That I'm like, okay, next, mm. you know, thanks. Yeah. And I think, I think if you can learn a bit of thick skin, um, because you get the same thing from agents and vendors and tenants and you've got to learn to not take it personally. Um, property is definitely a lot about mindset. So I'm, I'm glad that you picked up on that actually. Cause I think it's, I think it's something that people have, less awareness of um when they first go into it um but you know one of the things I've had to learn is how to not let stress get to me um you know especially when you've got even that, that first development you know I was so stressed out about everything because it was the first thing we'd ever done and now we run kind of three or four in one go it's still stress it's just that I learn not to let it affect me mm. and I mean how did you learn? Did you read any book? Did you listen to any awesome podcasts like Tetch Talks or like, what, <laughs> what did you do? Anything? Um, so I actually, um, I met a guy who does um, kind of, I guess, like emotional intelligence things. Um, so a guy called Sanjay Shah. And he basically talks about, um, there's a, you know, there's, it's, it's all kind of to do with vibrations and um, kind of, being above the line and below the line so above the line you're in kind of courage and peace and everyone's lovely and happy and it's all great but there the line you're talking about like fear anger ego lust you know those things that aren't necessarily productive um emotions and when you're below the line you're operating from that place 
everything you do is is kind of it's twice as hard it's like you're pushing through treacle whereas when you're doing it from a good place what you're putting out into the world is what you get back so it's learning to kind of let go of the things that affect you in a, in a negative way so that you can keep in that kind of good space um and um if you look at um there's a guy called uh Richard David Hawkin, who kind of champions a lot of this um, originally, um, he's got a lot of books that are, and he was a scientist actually. Uh, he's not, a, you know, kind of a, a fluffy person, as some people might call it. Um, and he wrote a lot quite extensively about this type of thing. Um, and I think, yeah, it, it is mindset. Um, I'm generally not very good at reading books. Um, I tend to read for, for, um, kind of a release rather than trying to read stuff about work-related things. So I was sort of like I need to take notes. Um, but I think definitely mindset books are the right place to start um, because property is a, is a challenging journey. It's a really rewarding journey and it's a lot of fun along the way, but it has highs and it has lows. So learning to bounce back from them is is definitely a skill you need to hone. Um, and, you know, I, there's been days where I've been literally sat at my desk with my head in my hands crying because I'm like what the hell have I done um and there's been days where I'm like you know high as a kite and flying around the house thinking this is amazing things are going fantastically um so learning to manage your emotions between those two is is really crucial absolutely and I love your honesty there because it's it's very easy to see the end result to mm -hmm. see the money the lamborghini whatever it is the end result but to not see the years the torment the gray hairs the wrinkles that have gone into getting that end thing and i think it's important you share that because again even with courses um they won't sort of say things like you just said you know and like uh, when i'm seeing people who are signing personal guarantees on like a, a million pound bridge and I know property is quite secure. You know, the chances of it being, you know, a dud are, are, are very low and it's de-risked. Do you still think, you know, are they sleeping well every night when they've got 750 grand that they're personally liable for? You know what I mean? So I think it's really important you've shared that. And I think things like, you know, meditation, exercise, mm. stoicism will all help um, maintain that kind of healthy balance, right? Yeah. And I think you're when you said, you know, that, that meditation thing and, and walk, even just going out for a walk sometimes when you've had a really challenging morning just helps clear it away um and especially in property you work quite a lot on your own so you don't have that kind of team banter and interaction that you would in, a, in an office environment um so you need to learn to find avenues to to let it out because um what you don't want to do is bottling it up because that's definitely not not a good place to be but um i suppose yeah, when you talk about the, the you know the million pound bridge and the personal guarantee. Um, the more you do, the more you get comfortable. That's the only mm. way I can describe it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like like you said, find an outlet. Don't binge on cheese because I've done that and it uh, <laughs> it didn't end well for my stomach. So top oh, yeah. tips there for us both. Mm. And you know what? To jump back to the property thing, because I remember quite clearly when you spoke, you said you found most, if not all, of your deals on Right Move. So. Is, is that still your kind of tool for sourcing? Do you search like a Boolean search something special or are you literally just searching and they're there? Yeah. So um, there are obviously tools out there that you can that you can use to do like scraping data. We don't do that and we haven't today. We may do it in the future. Um, I just look. 
I like looking at Write Me. I'd rather look at that than Facebook. Um, so, you know, I have obviously alerts set up so I know um, what's coming up and what's, you know, kind of what's coming in. Um, but every now and then I can just, you just see something and you think that I know that's a, a potential deal. Um, and I guess that's just free experience. And because I look at a lot, so I know when something's overpriced or underpriced or reasonably priced and, and, the buildings we tend to buy tend to be a bit unusual anyway. So, um, you know, you spot them fairly quickly on, on right move. Um, but I think when we, when we, when we were at um, Kensington, the guy that finished afterwards, Nick, he, he said that, you know, if you go on a right move page and you do a search for, I don't know, within a certain postcode and certain type of house, he was like, there will be a multitude of deals on that page. It's just knowing what to look for. So, you know, if something is up, with two agents, that's usually a, an indicator that they're desperate to sell. Um, if it's up for a sale and rent, um, sale and rent, um, purchase lease option opportunity. Um, you know, it there's often agents put in there. You know, in need of modernisation, that's a development deal potentially. You know, there's 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 key indicators that make it really really simple. And I think don't be wrong, landlord lists are great. They work really well for some people. We did one batch and it, it wasn't that great, um, but we need to do another batch still. Um, but I do I do think that you don't need to spend hundreds and hundreds of pounds finding your own leads. There are leads out there. Um, and estate agents, if you get to know them and take them some donuts, they'll be more likely to give you those opportunities before they even get onto right move. Um, so it's just about how much time and how much energy and how much money you want to spend ultimately. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely good point. I think Nick Nick Carlisle is also coming mm. on the podcast. So again, that, that event was great for me because I learned so much and I got two mm. awesome guests. So um, <laughs> you know that's that's a great point. And you know what? It's it's the little things that you notice which you don't necessarily get taught always, or you know when you're new to it, you're not looking for those things. You know, you might mm. see something for sale and for rent and be like, okay, cool. But you will see that and think, yep. Yeah, that's that's a lease option. So I think it's kind of training your mind, which, you know, takes a bit of time to kind of spot these trends and traits that mean, hmm, you know, this could be a deal. And when it comes to like volume of offers versus deals, have you had it quite fortunate where you, you know, viewed a few offered and got most of them? Or did you view like hundreds and get, you know, one accepted? So this is, I think, I'm going to say something very controversial now because a lot of um, people who teach property tell you it's a numbers game. Um, I completely disagree with that. Um, I think that strategy works when you're trying to go below market value, um, which is a very hard strategy to maintain and to keep, and, and it's a lot of no's. So personally, I don't like that strategy. It doesn't sit well with me from an ethical point of view. Um and I just didn't want that. I didn't want that in my life. That kind of approach. Um, so for me, um, I think it's it depends on what it is you're trying to do with with the deal. At, you know, at the end of the day, you know, if you if you want to do below market value, that's that's fine. That's one thing. But that will require um, a significant amount of viewings, a significant amount of offers, um, which is a, a lot of time. Um, so generally, if I find a building. All the information I would ever need is online. Um, I can stack that deal up so I can work out from a floor plan um, what I would do with it. You know, I know the location, I know what it looks like, um, and then I would stack it based on that. If it doesn't stack to my requirements, my parameters, I wouldn't go and view it. Um, so, um, you know, our investment 
um, area can be up to 45 minutes. That's an hour and a half round trip just to do a viewing. Um, so I don't look at an extensive amount of buildings. If I'm looking at it, it's because I'm serious about it. Um, but that works for my strategy. It doesn't work for everybody's. So I don't think you need to do 100 viewings a week and make 100 offers um, because we don't do that. Um, and it's worked for us. But equally, if you are if you are doing the BMV thing and, you know, it's all about how many you can get over the, you know, how many offers you need to put in before you get a yes, then then you need to do that. Um, so it just depends on on your strategy and and how you want to interact. And I would I would much rather spend my time in a positive way than viewing houses that I have no intention of buying. Mm, I like that the contrarian approach to what most people teach. That's good. You know, people need to hear what others are doing, and you're still very successful. You know, doing doing it your way. And I think, you know, if you're not buying it. BMV and you're not leaving in much money really compared to how much you're making is it a case of you're potentially buying at market or just below but you're adding so much value through developments it allows you to pull that much that's out exactly, that's exactly it okay. so because our conversions are different so you know we're taking taking a house and converting it into flats um you add an uplift um and it's easy because you can see how much a flat is worth in that location generally so you can tell what your end value is roughly going to be um same with a hmo if it's you know over, over six beds it's going to be a commercial valuation so you can find out what your yield is um or your multipliers by talking to some friendly valuers and you have to be quite persistent with them till you get them on the phone you know i had to ring about 20 before one actually even spoke to me um but you know, once you find out those those kind of key things, it gives you a bit more um, information to kind of be armed with in terms of your end value, and 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 it, that that takes time. You know, it, it it's not something you'll learn overnight. It will be built up over time. Talking to people in the locations that you invest in, you know, those you know, if you're investing in a random pin meeting, there's thirty other potential investors you can talk to, and most people are really happy to share the details of their investments. Um, you know, if someone says to me, well, "What was your commercial valuation on your HMO I'll tell them it's not a secret um and and I think that's when networking really comes into its own um because you pick up more information from really experienced people Mm, absolutely and what is one sort of resource platform or app that you can't live without um so okay I would say, well, Rightmove would definitely be up there, um, <laughs> but that's that's probably too obvious. Um, I use EPC Checker um, quite regularly. So the government has two websites, non, um, non-domestic and domestic uh, EPC checkers, and every house that goes up for sale has to have an EPC um, these days. So um, every house or business or whatever um and if they rent it out they have to have an epc so generally um you can find that that building and you can find out its square footage or square meterage whichever um and then you can use that by using a a rough rule of thumb indicator to do a quick calculation on on what a refurb might cost so that you can stack it within it's literally a three minute job to do each stack of each deal Um, and i just find that is a really quick way of going yes i want to pursue this or no i don't so i used to, I used to spend ages stacking deals it'd be like you know an hour and a half and now i do a quick stack if it looks like it's a viable option um we'll do you know i'll do i'll do a bit more detail then i'll go and view it and if it doesn't i'll just move on to the next one i love that that is that's a very useful tip i haven't heard had someone mention that before 
Love it. So speaking of kind of efficiency and time, you know, do you outsource anything or is it kind of all you and mum? No, we do. Um, So we've obviously got things like a bookkeeper and accountant, obviously all that that kind of stuff. We don't manage any of our tenants directly ourselves. We have an agent that does that um, and he's fantastic. So um, very much took, you know, it's important to find someone that you work really well with. Um, But equally, we also have a VA as well. She's based over in the Philippines. And, um, you know, she's, she, she's been with us about three months, so she's still very much new to kind of our processes and stuff, but she's absolutely exceptional. Um, and she does, she does all of the bookings for my pin speaking tours, uh, all the hotel bookings, all that type of thing. She does a lot of social media bits for us, um, and interaction with people on social media. Um, because actually that could take two or three hours of my day if I let it. Um, so she'll kind of talk to people, you know, she'll kind of have those initial conversations. Then if she, if it's something that we actually need to talk to somebody about, she'll, she'll let us know. Um, but she also does things like uh, tenant referencing. She's doing, managing some of our marketing campaigns. Um, so we're doing, you know, kind of brochures and things like that. So she's managing all of that with, with the designer. Uh, what else does she do? Um, like so much, like so, so much. Yeah, and and like we, it. We use oh she's oh yes we've got Asana which is our project management piece of software um, that is is kind of where we put in a project and, and at different stages so she chases bits and pieces so you know if if we're waiting for information from say the solicitor and he said oh, I'll give it back to you by this day if she hasn't got it she'll chase him for it so it just kind of keeps things on track um, and you know she organises the open days you know that kind of thing so it it's one of those things where I always knew we would need a VA and um, that that would grow with the business. Um, but I also didn't know one of what I'd give her to do and two, would we ever be able to afford it was the kind of, you know, those, those two things that you worry about. Um, you know, people from the Philippines are not at the same rate. They are, you know, per hour here. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are exceptionally intelligent and very quick to learn um, and have a fantastic work ethic. So um, that's that's really kind of key. Um, and actually, I've been teaching her how to deal source. So she's been looking at Rightmove wow. and looking at stuff for me. Um, and she's good. She's all right, actually. She's doing well. Um, but then secondly is I started off with a list of stuff that I needed her to do. And that stuff has grown. Um, and she now does, you know, so we actually did do the first um, rental property directly with a tenant um for a single let recently just as a trial to see how it worked um and i did i did the process i did it all myself wrote it all down and then she's now streamlined it so that she can do all that for me um so once the tenant's confirmed she will just manage the whole thing through to them moving in wow that's that's a lot that she does and that's a lot of time that you have back in your life to enjoy or to kind of carry on working and building it quicker so yeah there's definitely, you know, and I think we pay her about two hundred and eighty pounds a month. I think um, for all the stuff that she does, that like, frankly, got forgotten sometimes as well. It's like yeah. you haven't got enough time to do that, and I don't do it. And she chases me for things, which is good because I sometimes mm. I get, you know, I get sidetracked. Um, so it's, I guess, it's about you know, if you can afford three hundred pounds a month to get back a lot of your time and to grow your business much quicker, I think it's worth it. Mm. And what website do you usually use to find these people? So um, there's two people that I know that do it, uh, a guy called Richard Evans and a lady called Imogen Cook. Um, And they both do recruitment in the Philippines. 
um, where they'll basically find these people for you, interview them, and then you can do a, a you know final interview and pick the people that you want to go with. Um, so they kind of before they even get to you, they've gone through a vetting process. Um, and and yeah, I would recommend both of them. I think they're it's a great service. Um, and actually, what we're probably going to end up doing is growing our team out there. So she will be the kind of the you know the key contact and then we'll have a couple of other people doing other things um so just dealing with maintenance or you know marketing or whatever it is um because because it just takes away gives you more opportunity to do more of the things you actually enjoy mm, no definitely i've written their names down i'm just taking notes here um <laughs> so Gemma, unfortunately we've reached almost the end of the podcast we've got the quick fire round to go now oh, so okay. you know kind of like one line top level answers right so what are the biggest three mistakes that you've made? Biggest three mistakes. Um, not sorting out the cash flow from day one, so going into developments. Um, not being clear with builders. Um, and at the end of the project, forgetting things like the carpet needs to be booked three weeks in advance before you actually finished. So mm. you end up with void time. Okay. And then sort of conversely to that, what are your top three tips for people who are new in property? Um, read Property Magic. It explains it in very simple terms. Um, go to as many networking meetings as you possibly can and tell people around you, are your friends and family, what you're doing. Love that. Um, and what are your top three goals for the future? They could be personal, could be running a marathon, anything. Top three goals. Um, I think the first one is um, to buy a sports car, which mm -hmm. is a little bit in, uh, ridiculous, but that's what I want. <laughs> um, second one will be um, I want to get to a position where I am able to mentor new people coming in, into property um, and support them in their journeys. Uh, third one. Oh, God, I don't know. Anything property-wise you're thinking by the end of the year, um, maybe? By the end of the year. Uh, everything we've already bought and we've already exchanged on, get it built out so I can go on holiday. <laughs> it's about time after after working hard for so long, right? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, Gemma, look, I think, you know, I think we should get you back on the podcast in a couple of months near the end of the year to, to and hopefully you'll be, you know, Skyping in from a beach somewhere or a mountain, who knows, um, taking that holiday. But Gemma, look, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've, I've taken loads of notes on my post-its um, and I know everyone listening is going to take so much value from it. So yeah, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you for asking me. I really enjoyed it. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.